Chapter Four of The Man Who Ended War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Man Who Ended War by Hollis Godfrey. Chapter Four the disappearance of his britannic majesty's battleship dreadnought number eight sent the world wild two great nations had suffered severe blows and lay in quivering expectation of the future the chief of my paper smiled at me more amicably than ever before as i entered the office the third day after the british battleship disappeared utterly in the channel you'd better run that prophecy of yours about the french battleship to-day he said and then keep out of the office i don't want you to be in evidence we've got too good a thing to take any chances work as hard as you want on the assignment but don't appear publicly i nodded acquiescence by the way he went on just how many people outside of our own staff know of the second letter seven i answered the president the secretary of war the two haldanes and their cousin mrs hartnell richard regnier and john king the former secretary of the navy did know but he's dead they are all pledged to secrecy and all have kept the story wholly to themselves that's all said the chief and i left that night i sent in a prediction that a french battleship would sink within a week and then spent the next few days going over the naval registers of the nations and in correlating the mass of data concerning the navies of the world which had been collected at the office by my request i wanted to get all the information concerning the subject in hand that i could possibly obtain immersed in masses of data struggling with theory after theory that arose only to be rejected i passed the week weary from my labors one afternoon i left my work to go to the haldanes to report progress tom and dorothy were both immersed in a research tom was carrying on but they always had time to discuss the great question i had a letter from dick regnier yesterday said dorothy the first words over he says he's doing some work he has long wanted to do he speaks of seeing john king at cowes john had his new yacht down there i followed every word intently nothing at all about the loss of the alaska or the dreadnought number eight i asked significantly no answered dorothy when was the letter mailed i asked two days after the british ship went down she answered but she stopped as tom came in i continued the conversation no further as i left tom called after me i've been fooling with some phosphorescent paint he said and i've run down a few interesting results don't you want to come up to the laboratory to-morrow morning about three o'clock we're going to run some tests between twelve midnight and five in the morning so as to have the least current and vibration that the city can give i'll be glad to come i answered instantly no chance to be near dorothy was ever to be refused last revellers were just passing from the great white way as i rode uptown in a late surface car which held beside myself only a few dull and sleepy workers i was ahead of time and as i came up near riverside drive i jumped off the car and walked down towards the drive and up by the river below me in the full moonlight lay an american fleet the white sides and lofty turrets of the ships stood sharply outlined against the other bank they seemed to personify the might of the nation resting there in huge impassive stolidity fearful of nothing ready for all yet as i remembered joslin's words vanished like a breaking soap-bubble spoken of the alaska i shuddered at the helplessness of those floating forts massive as they were i looked at my watch in the moonlight quarter of three i turned and made my way to the gray stone building on the height which held the research laboratory i found tom and dorothy bending over a series of instruments under a big incandescent light 
i watched them for a moment silently then as they rose from their task i greeted them never had dorothy looked more charming than in this setting of bare walls and severe tables hooded instruments and wires glass cases and shelves most girls whom i had seen at three o'clock in the morning as they left a ballroom were sorry spectacles worn and dishevelled dorothy in her trim working clothes was as fresh as a summer's morn her first greeting over she turned to her work again adjusting a micrometer levelling screw what are you doing i asked idly adjusting a reflectoscope to detect the presence of radioactive waves tom is just going to have his assistant test the radium he is to use to-night and has half a dozen reflectoscopes here she waved her hand at the bench before her where half a dozen similar instruments were placed they are a good deal like the old electroscopes only infinitely more sensitive you see that gold leaf she pointed to two tiny ribbons of gold that hung limply together when a wave from a radioactive source such as radium comes along those ribbons fly apart all our reflectoscopes are discharged now but they'll be charged later as we spoke tom joined us i've sent jones downstairs for the radium in the safe dorothy he said and we three stood looking silently at the instruments before us through the open windows a fresh breeze fluttered in and the soft night gave back but the slightest hum a minimum of that sound that never ceases in the quietest hours of the great city a church tower rang out one two three four tom glanced at the chronometer just right he said and looked back a strange hush filled the air again a terrific force seemed to be pulling me towards dorothy but my eyes never turned from the reflectoscopes suddenly as i gazed the golden ribbon sprang to life parted and stood stiffly separate good heavens cried tom what did that they were perfectly insulated what did that dorothy it must be jones bringing the radium dorothy's eyes glowed with excited interest i don't think it was jones she said eagerly i believe i know what it was but anyway let's go first and see where jones is there's absolutely nothing else in the laboratory that could have charged them insulated as they were down the stairs flight after flight four and all we trooped and found jones in an office on the first floor seated in a chair before the safe looking disconsolately at its closed door at tom's voice he rose professor i've forgotten the combination again i was sitting here trying to bring it to mind then you haven't taken the radium from the safe at all shouted tom in wild excitement no answered jones staring in amazement then how in blazes did those reflectoscopes get charged jones showed a sudden interest have they got charged again yes have they been charged before twice before and i meant to speak to you about it but it slipped my mind when did it happen dorothy broke in i've got full particulars noted down uh, upstairs said jones but how about that combination never mind that cried tom let me see your data rapidly we ascended the slower jones following some way behind in the laboratory the assistant turned to a littered desk and fumbled among a mass of papers i could see that dorothy was burning with impatience which i could not understand jones fumbled on picking up paper after paper peering at them blindly through his black-rimmed spectacles tom seized my arm and walked me down the room impatiently that man will drive me mad some day he exclaimed he's the most accurate investigator and observer we ever had but he keeps his desk in an unspeakable mess he's got that data somewhere and when he finds it it will be correct but he'll take perhaps an hour to find it there oh thank the lord he remarked as we turned back dorothy's taking a hand then came order from chaos regularity from irregularity 
paper by paper was read rejected and placed in its appropriate place while jones looked on by no means displeased scarcely five minutes had passed and the desk had assumed an order foreign to its nature ten minutes passed and dorothy turned it isn't here mr jones now think where did you put it jones seized the knotty problem bent his mind to it struggled with it emerged victorious i know he said it's in the middle of that black leather notebook in the third right-hand drawer before he had finished the notebook was in dorothy's hand was open and a paper fluttered out into her lap she picked it up and read july third nineteen something reflectoscopes charged without apparent cause at three forty five thirty p m july eleventh nineteen something reflectoscopes charged without apparent cause between nine thirty five and ten ten p m i thought so i thought so said dorothy jumping from her chair tom it's as straight as a die oh jim it's a big step tom looked as bewildered as poor jones had seen before the safe or as he did now i was thoroughly puzzled the only thing that struck me forcibly was that dorothy had called me by my first name that was a big step surely but evidently it was not the step she meant dorothy saw our bewilderment and went on emphatically you are stupid i'd like to know how far you men would get in this world without women to find things out for you what happened on july third in the afternoon and what occurred sometime in the evening our time on july eleventh tom and i stood still looking at each other in bewilderment suddenly i saw a great light why those were the times the alaska and the dreadnought number eight disappeared i shouted in wildest excitement and just now a french battleship went down said dorothy gravely and she broke her sentence with a brief sob oh, the poor wives and children we had turned instinctively to watch the golden ribbons that told of the sinking of the proud battleship and of the death of hundreds and i bowed my head as when the death angel comes close beside us in his flight a moment's silence and tom turned to jones if you don't mind jones i wish you would say nothing of this no matter what you see or hear we shall do no more to-night you may go home with jones's departure we began another council tom drew out his pipe dorothy i know jim and i need to smoke over this do you mind and at her word we filled our pipes and invoked the help of that great aid to philosophers tobacco dorothy was at the desk her brow knotted in deep thought tom and i sat on a side bench against the wall facing her the dawn was coming in through the wide windows and the city stirred as we talked your theory about the disintegrating steel of battleships was evidently wrong tom said dorothy the wave that charged the reflectoscopes was a wave definitely projected from some definite place yes said tom musingly i was wrong the man who is trying to stop all war must have some radioactive generator some means of wave disturbance greater than anything we have yet attained as a man starts a dynamo and uses the electricity it furnishes to do work so this man starts this unknown engine of destruction and its waves destroy the ship but how could he possibly cause a ship to vanish without a sound i asked of course i'm not perfectly sure answered dorothy but the moment the reflectoscopes were charged i thought of a possible theory his force so powerful that it affects our reflectoscopes thousands of miles away may be able to resolve the metal which makes up a battleship into its electrons which would disappear as intangible gas what are electrons i persisted i've heard of them of course but i'm not quite sure what they are they're the very smallest division of matter the infinitely small particles that make up the atom 
if a man could find a way to break matter down to them it's entirely possible that they would then go off as a gas the waves the man sends out must be terrifically strong anyway one thing i don't see though is how he could break down organic matter he could break down everything metallic perhaps but i don't see how he could break down wood or human beings she ended with a shudder part of that's easy said tom with a long whiff at his pipe absolutely no wood for the last two years on any battleship all nations have taken out what wood they had on their new ships and put in metal of some sort i don't know about the action on man it's not essential to settle that now the excitement of the moment had been so great standing in the midst of history-making had been so poignant that for the nonce my newspaper instinct had been lost in the stronger thrill now it suddenly awoke great scott i cried i must get this to the paper instantly where's the telephone without a word tom pointed to the desk phone on his own desk and i rushed over to it again and again i rang with no response i can't get central i said tom looked at the clock it's a branch exchange but there's usually someone on our exchange board by now i'll try five more precious minutes were lost in his attempt to gain the board at last he looked up no use jim i waited for no more but grabbed my hat and ran down the long flights out across the square i sped and down the street a bluebell showed on the corner in a small store i ran to it locked another block and i had the same experience at the third a corner drug store i met success a yawning boy sweeping out the store gazed with open mouth as hot and perspiring from my run i hurried in and rushed to the booth in a moment i had the office and the night editor's desk had told him who i was and began to dictate at one minute past four by our time uh, see what time paris time is for that and put it in a french battleship was sunk by the man who is to stop all war probably no one on board escaped the last was a guess based on the experience of the past the night editor's voice came back feel sure of this orrington very sure i said i hate to run a thing like this on a chance the chief said to run anything i sent didn't he yes said the night editor well rush it in then before word comes all right if you insist came back and i hung up the phone paid my fee and departed i slept like a log until eleven then rose to gather in the file of morning papers outside my door my statement was in big headlines in my own paper no other morning paper had a single word of it i paused at the newsstand as i went down to breakfast staring from every paper was the headline la patrie number three disappeared french battleship follows the alaska and the dreadnought number eight they had the news from france five hours after we had published it leisurely i ate my breakfast the while i read the late news of my rivals turning with especial interest to an editorial of my own paper commenting on my work and reviewing the situation this should mean another big jump in circulation i thought to myself and another jump in salary too my salary was really getting up to a point where marriage was the only sensible thing for a man to do i was to meet the haldanes at three i wondered how long an acquaintance should last before one could propose as i sipped my last cup of coffee i saw two men in the dining-room door speaking to a waiter who nodded and led them my way they were not the type of men who usually breakfasted in the restaurant just before me they stopped mr orrington said one inquiringly i am james orrington i answered the waiter had gone back to the kitchen we were left alone in the rear of the dining-room the man who had spoken opened his coat and showed a silver shield we're secret service officials you are under arrest 
End of chapter 4